to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. First, let me say uh, thanks to uh, Stephanie and, and Chase and uh, the team here at UNT for allowing me to speak to you. Uh, BSM has a special place in my heart uh, for a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, many moons ago, I was plugged into BSM. I was a BSU president years ago. I was a BSM missionary. I met my wife in the BSM. It's a great place to go. I'm just telling you. Uh, my wife, if she was here, uh, would say that uh, she met an awesome, no, she wouldn't say that. She would say that the BSM helped her to grow tremendously as a believer. She was a follower of Christ before she came to BSM, uh, but getting connected and plugged in was a key spiritual moment in her life. And so one of my prayers for you is that BSM would be that kind of place for you. And so uh, it, it is uh, important uh, to me, uh, so much so that uh, for whatever crazy reason, I'm going on Beach Reach next week. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. They didn't tell me that I was too old, but I, I, when I found out what I have to do, I wasn't as excited, because you have to understand, I go to bed at 9 o'clock at night, Okay. We don't start driving the vans until 9 o'clock till 3 in the morning. So I know for some of you, that's, that's the best time to study, right, is 9, 8, 9 p.m. to 3. Uh, that's usually when I'm asleep. So those of you that go on Beach Reach, uh, please uh, help me to stay awake as, as part of that. Obviously, some of you are going on Beach Reach. If you're going on Beach Reach, would you raise your hand? Okay. All right. Good. Good. Yeah, make some noise. Uh, next week, uh, is anybody else going uh, to Florida? We got any First Baptist Denton folks? Okay, all right, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of lame. Okay, come on, we can get do better than that. A little bit more than that? Yeah, all right, good, good. All right, how many of y'all are going home for uh, spring break? Wow, not, not, not a whole lot going on there. It, it, is, is anybody going on a trip somewhere, man? They're, they're going to relax somewhere. Anybody going ski? Yeah, a few of those? Okay. How many of y'all are staying in town? Yeah, yeah. Pumped about staying in Denton, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, I've been told that it's somebody's birthday today. Is it Allie's birthday? Did we sing happy birthday to Allie yet? Okay, we got to sing happy birthday. Stand up, Allie. Come on, stand up. All right, here we go. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Allie. Happy birthday to you. All right. Thank you. Uh, that is why I came this evening. I'd like to thank you for allowing me to speak. We can now go to our, our groups, right? Uh, this time of year, and, and for this experience, as you think about going to Beach Reach, for some of you, it's going to be a real challenge. Uh, it, it's going to be a challenge because you're going to be tested in a lot of different ways. And you're going to need God's help 
as you do that. You're going to need God's Holy Spirit to direct you. You're going to get frustrated with some of the things uh, that you're going to experience, some of the comments you're going to hear made to you. You're going to get frustrated with, uh, with the fact that some people are not ready to hear the gospel. You're going to see some things that are going to uh, blow your mind, not in a positive way, but in a negative way. And so what I want to say to you tonight is that all of us need God's help. And what God says to us is that He wants to be our co-worker. So our theme for this evening is co-workers with God. Now something else that's important to me that, uh, to be honest, I was recently talking to uh, a young man who is pastoring a church plant down in South Texas. And this young man, his ministry is to reach millennials. And one of the things that he's finding, though, is that as millennials come to know Christ, they're changed, they're different, but their family situation may be problematic. In fact, this is the way he said it to me. He said, do you remember where Jesus said, love your enemies? He said, in my church, you can replace that word, love your enemy, with love your family. Because he said he knew a lot of his members of his church who grew up in families that we would say would be dysfunctional. And I want to say to some of you tonight, as you're going to be preparing to go home, it's not something that maybe you're too pumped about in regard to seeing your parents and, and hanging out there. And I want to say to you, you need God's help as you do that as well. For others of you, you're going to go to some places or you're going to say, I'm not going to go to some places because my life is different because I have a relationship with Christ. It's a growing, it's a maturing relationship. And so because of that, you're going to have to stay away from some places that you would go to. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul is challenging us to be co-workers with Him, with God. So as we look at the text this evening, we're going to look at verses 12 through 30. We're going to kind of move quickly through it, but I want you to remember the environment that the book of Philippians was written in. Chapter 2 that we'll look at tonight offers us three human examples and one divine human example of what it means to be a co-worker with God. We're going to re, uh, be reminded of Jesus, of how He Himself was willing to come to the earth to be a servant. We're going to be introduced once again to Paul. And you remember Paul at this time uh, had been imprisoned. He's in the latter part of his ministry. He's under house arrest. In fact, he refers to himself as being chained for the gospel. We're also going to meet Timothy. Paul describes Timothy as a spiritual son. And as we look at Timothy, we're going to see the fact that he is someone that Paul puts an incredible amount of trust in. Finally, we're going to take a look at a guy named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is a young man who had been sent from Philippi to there. So let's dive in. Take a look at chapter 2, beginning at verse 12 of the book of Philippians. If you don't have your Bible, you can take a look at... Uh, the screen, and you can see and, uh, and follow along there. But in chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so not, not only 
as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what I see from this passage is that co-workers must get their salvation in shape. Notice the text says that we are to work out our salvation. Now, I, I don't know if you like math class, but when I think about salvation, I think about it like this. Okay, does anybody remember what that's called from geometry? Array. Good job, Allie the birthday girl. Okay, so it's, it's array. For me, salvation reminds me of array because array has what? A starting point, right? It has movement, and then it goes to infinity, correct? A lot of people, for some reason, think that salvation is just this right here. They think, hey, I've accepted Christ, I, I've trusted in Him, I'm done. But yet, what you see from the text here is that Paul is saying, look, work out your salvation. He's saying there's something more to it. So I want you to understand that you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. So when he talks about workout, there's an expectation on our part. How many of you like to work out? Okay, all right, all right. How many of you hate working out? Okay, yeah, I got you, got you. All right, how many of you, uh, uh, did Tyler stay with us or did he leave? Did Tyler leave us? He left us? Oh man, he's going to miss my story, my illustration, okay. All right, well, I, I hate lifting weights. How many of you like to lift weights? You okay, got some weightlifters here? All right, good, good. But what I love to do is I love to play racquetball, okay? And so I play racquetball three days a week uh, at about 5 o'clock in the morning. I mean, I love doing that. It's a lot of fun. I even get some guys to come and hang out with me, and we have a good time doing that. But what I've come to understand when I go into the gym is that some people play racquetball, some people ride a bike, some people walk, and some people lift weights. I mean, they're doing all kinds of things. They're all, there's a lot of different ways that you can work out. So we need to understand that God has made us unique and different, and we need to work out in the way that He has called us to do that. So we need to understand that we are working out our salvation. Now notice this, we are not working for salvation. We're not working for. The text says, work out your salvation. What that means is that I am not doing enough good stuff to be saved, right? I'm working out my salvation. Notice then, secondly, the text says to us that it is God who works in you. So co-workers should be led by God. Paul says God is working in you. The thought is God is actively doing something to you spiritually. Paul in Romans 12 said that we do not be need to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Then he says, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God wants to do something radical and different. God wants to change you. Warren Wiersbe, a well-known preacher, makes this comment. He says, this is a process of ins and outs. God works in, and we work out. Now think about that. God works in us, right? 
and we in turn are to be working out. So God wants to labor with us. We must remember though that if we're going to be co-workers with Him, we have to allow Him to change us. I would hope that by the time you finish here at UNT that you have learned some things. I would hope that by the time you leave this school, you would have matured and grown in your relationship with Christ. We have four kids. My youngest daughter is a student at Oklahoma Baptist in Shawnee, Oklahoma. She's just completing her first year, and I asked her a question after her first semester in, uh, in December. I said, Ashton, I said, what, what's something you learned from school? Well, you have to understand, Ashton was a cheerleader. She played basketball and she played softball. Uh, so she was active athletically from the time she was very young. She's gone to Oklahoma Baptist. She's not doing any of that stuff. But she's majoring in applied health or kinesiology area. And so she's in classes with a lot of athletes. And she said, Dad, I, I, I've learned this. She said, I understand that my self-image cannot be based upon athletics. It has to be based upon Christ. Now, I took that as, okay, she's getting it. She's beginning to learn. In the same way, my challenge is that you would let God work in you and that you would be working out. Let's move on. Notice, too, as we go further in the text, in in verse 13 it says that God both to will and to work for His good pleasure. A co-worker's job is to fulfill God's purpose. That word pleasure here can also be translated His purpose. You see, God has a purpose for our lives. He has a unique purpose for us. You have been uniquely gifted to do some things that others cannot. There are some people here on campus that you can reach out to that others can't. There are students that you can reach out to that I would never have a chance to reach out to. And we need to understand that God has created us in such a way that He wants to use us. And we need to recognize that in His eyes, we are special. And we are created with a reason and with a purpose. Have you read anything about the young man by the name of Vinny O? 22-year-old California makeup artist who doesn't want to be male or female. And so he's had over 110 medical procedures to transition into a genderless extraterrestrial or alien. Among them, he's had 12 cheek fillers, 2 brow fillers, 15 lip fillers, 5 Botox sessions, 5 nose procedures, and 20 syrofacial freezings. His goal is to be genderless. As I think about that young man, I think about the fact that he is obviously not happy with the way God created him. Can I say something to you? As God looks at you, He sees you as significant and He sees you as special. No matter what others have said, God says in this passage, I have created you for a purpose. Hear hear that. 
And God wants you to fulfill that purpose. So a co-worker's job is to fulfill God's purpose. We've got to move on. Well, what is the job description of a co-worker? Well, if you look through the text here, we get some key insights. Number one, we're not to complain. Look at what verse 14a says. It says, do all things without grumbling. Complaining. Can I be honest with you? I'm a complainer. I I tend to do that. When somebody introduces a new idea to me and I haven't been the one to introduce it, I tend to start complaining about that. I tend to complain to my kids. They want to do something. Dad, can we do this? No, that makes no sense. Uh, That's my immediate reaction. That's not a good thing. Have you ever been in a conversation and you were excited about doing something and you thought this was the right thing to do and then somebody began to complain and all of a sudden it was like the balloon was deflated and nobody wanted to do it anymore. You see, that's the impact sometimes of a complainer. In fact, for those that are going on beach reach, I I know last week one of the things that Stephanie said to us was, look, if you've got a problem, if you're upset, if you're frustrated about something, don't don't go gossiping or complaining to somebody else. Come see us as the leaders and let's process it. Complaining doesn't help anything. The text here says to us that we are challenged to do all things without complaining. Do you remember in the Old Testament when the Israelites were wanting to go into the promised land? You remember Moses sent out some folks? How many spies did he send out? Twelve, right? He sent out twelve spies. You remember they came and brought a report back. How many brought back a positive report? Two. How many brought back a negative report? Ten. I mean, it was amazing. It turned the crowd, and because of that, you remember what the result was? What did the Israelites get to do? They got to wander around in the desert for 40 years because of some complainers. The two guys that brought the positive report, a guy named Caleb, a guy named Joshua. Those two guys lived through it. The Bible tells us the other folks died. They died. And what did it come down to? Some guys who were complaining, who said, we cannot do this. So understand, a job description of a co-worker is to do all things without grumbling. Number two, or B, we are not to argue. The text says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Arguing here reflects a legal connotation of disputing and may refer at least in part to the practice of going to civil courts to settle differences. The concept of arguing here is a step up from being blameless. How many of you gotten into an argument lately with somebody? Okay. Did you win? You know, most of the time we get in an argument, we don't win, do we? I remember one time I was dating a girl who was from a different uh, denomination, and she and I were going out on a date, and, uh, and, and I found that every time we went out, we got into an argument. And I went home with a headache. I finally said, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm sorry, I... I just can't date you anymore. You see, one of the things I find when I continue to get in arguments with people is it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't help. It just creates many times disunity. And so the text would say to us, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
Then Paul moves on to say that we are to live blameless lives. Uh, Look at verse 15 and 16 and 17, or 15 and 16. He says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the days of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Blameless lives. How many of us have heard about individuals who've gotten fired because of posts that had been placed on social media? That's an example of not living a blameless life, isn't it? That's an example of someone who is doing things that are inappropriate. Recently, I went for a training with an organization called Raceway Ministries, and part of what we do, and our association helps to sponsor them, is that we have volunteers who try and reach out to the 100,000 spectators that come to Texas Motor Speedway. One of the things they were adamant about is they said, look, when you're helping people, when you're caring for people, when you're giving them rides uh, on the golf carts because they're disabled, make sure that you never actually pick up a beer to throw it in the trash. And I thought, well, that's weird. Why would you even say that? And, and the guy went into more detail and he said, look, when you hold that and you're wearing a shirt that says Raceway Ministries, somebody takes your picture and they post that, what kind of impression does that leave of our ministry? You see, they were adamant about saying that I must live a blameless life when I am serving in that ministry. Paul is trying to challenge us with the fact that there are things that we will know and should not do. They're not necessarily sinful, but we won't do those because we want to live a blameless life. Notice too in the text that uh, the writer here says blameless and innocent. Another word for, for that word innocent, in fact the literal translation is pure. Pure. You know what pure means. It, it means unadulterated. It means, uh, it, in fact, the way that it was used here in the Greek was to describe wine that had not been diluted or metal which had not been weakened in any way. It is not allowing something in that would pollute. It means that I must be cautious about what I watch. I must be cautious about what I let in my eyesight. Job, in Job 31.1, makes this comment. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes, how then I could gaze at a virgin. Job tells us not to gaze at a woman. What does gazing mean? It's the proverbial second look. It's the continual look. It is, as the NIV translates it, looking lustfully. Committing mental adultery. The challenge is is that we would not let impure thoughts in our minds, impure things in that we would look or see. And so you see the combination. Blameless is that I wouldn't do things that are inappropriate. Pure is that I would not let things in that are inappropriate. So those are things that we are called to do if we're going to be a co-worker. We also are challenged here to offer Christ. To others, we must offer Christ. The text says, hold firmly or hold fast. It, it is the idea of someone offering something 
to someone else. This week, if you're going on beach reach, you'll have the opportunity to offer Christ. If you're going home, you may come in contact with people who need to know Christ. We need to understand that we are challenged in the text to offer Christ to others. And then notice in verse 17, Paul talks about his own situation. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul is saying, look, you need to be prepared to suffer. I don't know if you've read the book, The Insanity of God. If you haven't, you ought to. It's a non-fictional novel. It speaks of what uh, folks endure around our world. In one particular section, particularly in China, Chinese pastors who were gathered together to talk about their experiences, one of the things that they continued to say was they thought of prison as being seminary for them. Seminary. Upon further reflection and further reading of the book, what we became reminded of as we looked at the book was this, and that is that while they were there, their faith was refined, it was challenged, but then they were also encouraged by other believers. The text challenges us that we need to understand that we may suffer. Notice too, and I must move quickly, that we are to be genuinely interested in others. The text says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel, I hope therefore to send him. Timothy was genuinely interested in others. And then finally, you'll see here Epaphroditus. We are to serve alongside other believers. The text says this in verse 25. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger, and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you and all has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You see, we're challenged to be co-workers, to serve alongside others. My family loves to go camping. One of the things we love to do is we love to sit around a campfire. We build a teepee, we set the fire, and we, we let it run until we're ready to go to bed. And then when we're ready to go to bed, we do two things. One is, I go and get water, and we pour it on the logs. Then secondly, I take the coals, and I begin to separate the coals. Why is it that I separate the coals? Because I know when they're separate, they'll die out. You see, you and I are like those coals. When we run around separate from each other, we tend to die out and fade away. My challenge to you is that you would be co-workers with God and with others.